0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, audio drama producer and podcaster. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about their show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Hello from the Woods."
1: Darker than your dreams, and farther north than you remember, There is a forest where life and death meet. Ladies, gentlemen, and indescribable beings, I have not interrupted your nightmares before. I am the one who watches when you think no one is watching. I am in the shadow under your bed, and I know each skeleton in your closet. You have so many skeletons in your closet. I see where you have been and who you used to be, but I do not know where you are going. Where are you going? I am a guardian of all who dream. I am one hundred eyes in the dark. I am your loyal host, Nick, For the first and certainly not the last time, Bidding you Hello
0: from the Woods. Created by William A. Wellman, Hello from the Woods is a queer fiction podcast where a cosmic narrator follows the increasingly connected residents of the forest at the end of the world. While there are elements of horror in these tales, the story is often told in a meditative and poetic way. Wellman writes storylines that often seem unrelated, but over time these threads come back together to show the interconnectedness of the residents of this supernatural post-apocalypse. The first episode, Keys, mostly focuses on the introduction of Diggory Graves, a Frankenstein's monster who is searching for their purpose and their encounter with a ghost bound to a haunted piano. There are also tales of Jonah who is trapped in a flood and Riot, who is captured by a being of musical instruments. All of these stories are related to us by Nicky Nick, a godlike being voiced by Wellman. I spoke to William remotely from their home. Tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist and a creative person. I think
1: I've always been interested in writing from a young age but i'd kind of fallen out of that for a while i went through a stage of different uh sort of creative phases where it was like well maybe writing would be too out there but maybe like architecture would still be something creative i could do in the real world and maybe oh maybe not architecture but maybe i could do this other thing Uh, i got really interested in animation for a while and eventually found my way falling into a business marketing degree and did some dark Alternate universe, I probably am still a a business marketer to this day. However, uh, as I was getting towards the end of that degree, I had been realizing all throughout that this was about the last thing I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Like everything that a business marketer does, and especially when it comes to like marketing for like big corporations. Um, Is really to just kind of like ensure that these kind of like institutions stay uh, (laughs) kind of profitable and to do that like as subversively as possible. You know, uh, the ideal thing for a marketer is that, like, you don't realize that you're being marketed to. You just Mm. sort of have it as an integrated part of your daily experience. And all this was really not sitting right with me. So as I was getting out of school, um, I resolved, like, okay. I think what I would like to do is actually go revisit my writing (laughs) dreams. You know, I have this new interest in horror, Um, I have this new interest in like sort of queer issues and queer representation. I would really like to kind of do something that would merge those two categories or kind of sit at the intersection of that. And so from those kind of thoughts, uh, I started germinating this idea about a story where You know, it would be sort of a a post-apocalyptic setting where we've seen the effects of climate change, we've seen the effects of sort of super capitalism. And that could kind of sit as an intersection of queer issues and sort of age-old horror tropes and kind of explore some stories in that space. And so really that's where sort of the seed for Hello from the Hallowoods came from. And as for many podcasters, when COVID ended up hitting uh, in 2020, that suddenly became a window where I had a lot of like extra quiet space <laughs> to kind of <laughs> develop this story and actually get the podcast on the road. So it was Halloween of 2020 that uh, Hello from the Hallowoods episode one debuted. And then we've been sort of rolling weekly uh, ever since. You know, that was my first big audio project. That was my first sort of writing project outside of a couple of short stories I'd gotten published. And so it was really like sort of a step into the unknown, wondering if anyone would actually resonate with that story, whether anyone was thinking about these things in this way. And since then, I've been pleased to find that there are at least a couple people (laughs) that, you know, have kind of responded to the story.
0: And they're the ones who keep tuning in. Did you do any kind of artistic stuff when you were younger, maybe before school?
1: I've always, I think, even when I was focusing on, uh, you know, business school, like in the margins, I'd be doodling these characters that would someday end up in Hello from the Hallowoods. You know, I've always had an interest in drawing and writing, and I think it's taken... A lot of practice on those fronts to end up being able to do any of those i think catholic competently but you know the interest has always been there and then i think as i've started to take having a creative career more seriously i've been able to sort of start honing those skills and look for ways to like actively improve them
0: rather than just as a hobby how did you come to audio drama as a medium you wanted to explore audio
1: drama was kind of I would say not top of mind when it came to sort of starting a writing career. You know, originally I was thinking, oh, I could publish a novel and then, you know, publish another novel and another novel and another novel. And eventually when I've published about 15 or 20 novels, then I might be able to make a living as a writer in this day (laughs) and age. But then it was like... Well, I'm not sure if I want to wait until I'm halfway through my life to like be making a career out of writing. I'm not sure I want to spend like the next 20 years in this marketing job until then. So that came around to figuring out, okay, what else could I do to present a story that would allow the audience to get kind of engaged with it. Um, and that would allow it to kind of go out there to the world. I tossed around a graphic novel, tossed around web comics, tossed around uh, like a series of like the blog posts. But eventually I circled back around to podcasting. And I hadn't listened to very many at that point. I had completed the entire like run, I think, of the first two Adventure Zone seasons. But I had never even at that point listened to like Welcome to Night Vale. As I was like, okay, I think I should do a podcast route for this. So I started like actually listening to these other shows and starting to figure out, you know, okay, how have they done things? If I'm going to make a show like this, you know, what can I do for this project?
0: And so you really didn't have any experience with audio drama going into this. So did you do this by yourself then?
1: Absolutely. Uh, It is... It is to this day a one person operation.
0: I would not necessarily,
1: for like new podcasters out there, recommend that you go out and be like a sole proprietor for your show. I think also, like, and I didn't know this when I had started. But there is such a big community of fans around shows like the Magnus Archives, around shows like Welcome to Night Vale. I think I very easily, even back in 2020, could have like walked into Twitter or walked into the right Discord server and been like, hey, podcast fans, you know, half of you have unique skills and half of you want to like make a show of your own. Would anyone be interested in collaborating with me for like a three or four person team to make a show? And I think if I'd done that, you know, I probably would have been able to find some people who could have alleviated some of the burden in marketing or sound editing or writing or voice acting. Because I was the only podcaster I knew at the time, I ended up structuring Hello from the Hallowoods so that although it can occasionally have guest voices on, you know, most of the time it can run as sort of a single voice show with an amount of story that I can write, you know, from week to week.
0: You said you had an interest in both horror stories and also into queer stories. Can you tell me about what draws you to those particular kinds of issues and themes?
1: Oddly enough, like kind of the interest in both uh, really kind of emerged around the same time. The time of life when I was kind of coming to understand my own identity, when I was like beginning to kind of come out to, to friends in my community you know, that kind of prompted a lot of thought into like, not only my experience, but starting to learn more about other queer people's stories as well. And at the same time, a genre that I'd always kind of written off as being like horror is just for like people who like like lots of blood and gore (laughs) you know are surprised by jump scares every time and like you know I I I had never really seen a lot of value in it I'd always kind of relegated it to like the b-movie bin at the superstore and I I, I'd, I'd watched some you know ostensibly horror films like the alien franchise before and you know I didn't necessarily see the potential in that genre that I do now. And it was about that time that I started to kind of intake some stories that kind of changed my perspective on that. I kind of fell into it from the animated series side of things uh, through a show called Over the Garden Wall, which strangely enough, although it was presented for children on a cartoon network, mostly deals with like folk horror. And all the tropes and like the setting is really pulled from that. I had not seen before, like, oh, you can actually take kind of the language of horror, but then, (laughs) you know, package it uh, or speak with it in a different way. Horror can be a genre where you encounter a lot of metaphor and where you can talk about things that are difficult to talk about in the real world through the metaphor of that story and then kind of come out on the other side with something that i hope like outlives kind of the story itself and so that struck me as like ooh, i didn't see the potential here before for kind of writing stories that can use these elements of horror to tell stories about queerness and about queer representation and about how we grapple with these issues in life.
0: What does queer fiction mean to you? Queer
1: fiction, I would largely define as uh, fiction by creators that are queer. There, there may not be like kind of a blanket uh, way to to define that per se. It became important at that time that like that was kind of the set of issues, and that was kind of the set of experiences that I was talking about in these stories. And so it would be relatively easy, and I think many stories like have done quite well, is to just have people who are queer inside your monster story, you know, running from the slasher like any other character. That I would would say that's a story with representation. What I wanted to do from Hello from the Hallowoods was not just tell stories about monsters that queer people happen to be adjacent to, but specifically to tell stories about monsters that kind of incorporate themes and elements of queerness to hopefully tell stories through these old tropes in the horror genre and put a twist on them to like make people really like re-examine certain perspectives or kind of to, uh, to address an issue in a way that people haven't seen before.
0: Do you think there's something about the horror genre that plays well with queer writing or queer identities? I think it does,
1: um, particularly because the horror genre can be a place, you know, often kind of like within the metaphor of the story where we look at these dark sort of real world issues and are able, I think, to kind of explore them in extremes or explore them in angles that we maybe couldn't in sort of a more literal story. But I would also say, like, even historically, um, a lot of the people that we would look to as sort of the founders of the horror genre were either queer or, you know, kind of ostensibly were. I, I find not only, like, is there a good potential in just what you're able to do with the genre now, but I think the roots of that go back quite a long ways (laughs) it's been interesting to see in podcasting especially how creators have kind of gravitated to this specific genre, potentially in the wake of shows like Welcome to Night Vale, that very early on were setting a bar for representation within the genre. And then, I, you know, really, I think, popularized probably over the course of 2020 and 2021 by the Magnus Archives, which, uh, you know, became a bit of a like internet sensation and really, I think, pulled in a wave of like sort of younger listeners as well.
0: Yeah. Horror often deals with like otherness. There is something outside of human experience or outside of accepted human behavior. And typically, that's usually the monster that is given these qualities of otherness.
1: You know, a lot of Hello from the Halloween's narratives kind of look like, oh, I am a you know, something with three eyes and 14 tentacles. Everyone that, you know, looks upon me falls into trembling and madness. How do I make any connections? Like, how do I still make a meaningful life? And, you know, is there any way for me to, like, reach out to other people and, like, be understood for who I am, which is not actively malicious, but it is three eyed and maddening. Um, And so, you know, I I found it kind of a wonderful space to explore with that little bit of empathy. and kind of uh, take, I guess, a different look at a lot of these tropes that we've seen time and time again. Diggory Graves only knew three things. The first was that their name was Diggory Graves. They were alone when they awoke in the sunken manor, but the black jacket laid out nearby fit them perfectly. And it said, property of Diggory Graves, on a little embroidered tag. The spikes on the shoulders looked as vicious as Diggory felt. The second was that they were dead. It had taken them some time to work that one out, but there were plenty of clues. The stitched up scars that ran across their waist, around their wrists, and up the back of their neck spoke to this, as did the lack of breathing or a pulse. They weren't sure how this left them able to stumble along in the bleary daylight, but they felt if they questioned it too much, they might unravel completely. The third was that they were looking for something. Had it been days or months since they had first started their gloomy march across the bogs and pine barrens? They had encountered a shed with broken windows and an overturned car consumed by rust but neither of these satiated the deep hunger that was consuming Diggory. Ahead between the trees, Diggory caught a glimpse of a house and stopped in their
0: tracks. Perhaps this
1: was what they were looking for.
0: I'm curious if your own personal experiences with queerness and discovering that about yourself influences how you approach your storytelling.
1: It absolutely does. Um, you know, I I think there are especially a couple of characters whose kind of journeys and philosophies kind of mirror my own in some ways. I think also sometimes writing itself can be a bit of an act of exploration and definitely like you know, these last probably three years have seen me grow a lot as a person, in addition to like the growth of the characters throughout the story. I will also say that like, You know, as someone who has been through, uh, say, a lot of religious trauma in relation to queerness, that is something that the story uh, explores, uh, I think, quite heavily, because, you know, that is sort of a particular angle of life that I have been through. It is something that I see kind of reflected uh, in certain uh, interactions and certain
0: characters
1: uh, within the story.
0: What is Hello from the Hollywoods in your own words? When you think about this show, what do you think about?
1: i think of a marketing problem <laughs> because <laughs> hello from the hallowoods has been such a difficult show to really like pin down to a, a nifty elevator pitch and i'm just tickled every time to see that fans also struggle to like capture exactly what the show is but that said if i was going to try i would say that hello from the hallowoods broadly speaking it's a show set in about 2051 A bit after the apocalypse actually a long way after the apocalypse and in a world where uh there's kind of a a supernatural element that sort of changes life it leaked out of the oceans when the glacier ice melted and it has kind of added a lot of like supernatural elements to this world Within this world, we find a lot of different, largely queer characters of various walks of life. Some of them are Frankenstein's monsters. Some of them are ghosts. Some of them are sort of human, like zombie apocalypse survivors, uh, trying to like create a community out there in the forest. Some of them are like deep into arcane studies and trying to figure out a way that magic might be able to like remedy the world from its current situation. And then a vast majority of the population have gone to sleep in kind of this almost dreaming reality sort of a virtual reality uh equivalent where they can safely sort of spend their days in entertainment and kind of ignore the ongoing situation above and it is in this landscape that we jump from one perspective to the next there's sort of a uh an elder god not dissimilar to Lovecraft sort of uh, beings named Nick Nick, who serves as sort of the Rod Serling narrator of the story. And he kind of takes us from one perspective to the next, sharing these little snippets out of these various people's lives. And then as the first season goes on, you'll find that we revisit a lot of these people and eventually their lives each kind of interact with each other uh, in this landscape until we're really telling a very large story about like a good probably 20 or 30 people. Kind of the like elaborate story frame that I have is that, you know, if you are dreaming in the world of Hello from the Hollywoods, this is what that nightmare god Nicky Nick is kind of like putting into your dreams. But his sort of progress in doing that and his little status updates and his asides and his like, you know, sort of world events, so to speak, are interrupted about once an episode by someone else who is using Dream as an advertising platform. And that would be a character named uh, Lady Ethel Mallory, uh, who works for sort of a megacorporation. Here at the Botulus Corporation, maker of the Dreaming Box, your comfort is our dream. As a result, all advertising you see in your dreamscape has been customized to your unique preferences, wants, and needs. We believe that it is your right to be matched with products that fit you perfectly so that your hard-earned wages can go towards improving your life with brands that understand you, brands that know you, brands that value your feelings and thoughts. People come and go, but brands are eternal. I, I wanted to do some commentary on the fact that for every sort of great uh, emotional podcast story that you can listen into today, you know, about halfway through, they'll interrupt and then try to sell you mattresses or mailboxes <laughs> or, you know, sock subscriptions. And, you know, I understand that's the nature of advertising, but also I thought. Maybe I could take (laughs) sort of that expectation and have that advertising break be instead of for a real world product, be for something that is within the story and will slowly fill you in on a different side of the story.
0: It's a, it feels like an anthology story, right? So it's, it's a series of, of different kinds mm-hmm. of stories that happen. And they are horror. They deal with really creepy and scary subjects. But when I listen to it, I don't, I'm not like terrified, right? It's, mm-hmm. I, I feel like they're more like macabre meditations almost.
1: <laughs> I would accept macabre meditations for sure. I had fallen in love with several stories that begin by seeming unconnected. And then slowly you put together those connections over time. Uh, And you realize like, oh, this character was back there when this happened, and like this object had significance in this character story. And so the first uh, maybe 10 episodes of Hello from the Hallowoods are really designed for that experience. I think you could get through about the first maybe three or so without really putting together that like everything is connected. Most of these characters will be important later on. But as time goes on, I think you do lose the anthology-like collection a little bit, yeah, and it almost becomes more a story that you just, the perspective keeps changing, even though there is one sort of central storyline happening.
0: The first episode is called Keys, Mm -hmm. and it has sort of three main storylines that we are introduced to. We, We first hear about a character named Jonah, who is cleaning out his father's office in the basement of his house, which is becoming flooded the the lake nearby is overflowing and then as he remembers his father he gets swept up and trapped in this cabinet presumably we will find out more in a later episode and then we have a similar kind of cliffhanger-esque ending the third story is about riot Mm -hmm. who is uh, we know that she she's run away from home which is a bunker and she's being chased by the instrumentalist which is some sort of monster or creature or person whose approach is signaled by a variety of musical instruments coming towards you. She is also snatched up by the instrumentalist, and we don't know what happened to her. The middle story is about Diggory Graves, a dead person of some sort, uh, a monster with knives for fingers, and Diggory is searching for something as they wander the land. Um, They meet a ghostly boy named Percy in an old house who is bound to this piano within the house. Diggory has this opportunity to relieve their loneliness uh, with a new friend, but also realizes that they could free Percy from his curse and also then lose this new friend that they found.
1: I think the central like highlight of the story is about Diggory, this like, Frankenstein-esque monster who... Has not really met anyone yet. It almost like parallels that early stage of Frankenstein, where you know the monster goes out into the world and like is still kind of learning from uh, each experience that uh, it traverses. It is Frankenstein is a little bit tragic, I think, that Diggory yeah. you know, is immediately upon being given the opportunity for this companionship forced to choose between keeping that companionship in what would be kind of a selfish way versus ending that companionship by setting this ghost free, which is what the ghost wants. And so, you know, uh, <laughs> slight spoilers for *Hell of the Hallywoods, but, uh, you know, we do see a good bit more of both Diggory and Percy throughout the story. But, you know, I, I think that that emotional tone and kind of this bittersweet feeling that Diggory has at the end of like, I at least know now what I was missing and like what would kind of fill this emptiness that I feel, you know, and that would be companionship. That would be having someone else who understands my experience. When Diggory opened their eyes, the see-through boy was sitting on the floor, rocking back and forth. As Diggory sat up, the boy turned to look at them and Icarus' smoke no longer poured from his eyes. They looked pained and sad. He pointed with transparent fingers at the piano, and Diggory noticed the boy's wrists were circled with wire that trailed into nothingness. Diggory stood up to inspect, and in the center of the instrument, above the keys, tarnished gold letters were set into the wood. Persephone, Diggory read and the boy was standing next to him then, very close, and shaking his head urgently. He put a finger in the middle of the word. Percy. Percy. Diggory tried again, and the boy nodded, moving to sit on top of the piano. He tracked Diggory's every movement with his piercing eyes, and Diggory wondered if he was twenty years old, or two hundred. Diggory reached out their hand and found it playing a simple melody on the keys, a melody that Diggory did not recognize, but somehow it spoke things that Diggory could not express. Something stirred in the chasm of Diggory's soul and sparked warmth in the cold cavity of their chest. I'm sorry if I disturbed you, Percy. I've been walking, I have always been walking, I have not met anyone else, I am glad to meet you. Tremors of emotion crossed Percy's face, and if the stitches in his mouth pained him, it seemed as though the absence of speech pained him more. you know, I I really wanted... Mostly in that middle story to kind of set the tone for like the sort of story that Hello from the Hallowoods goes on to sort of focus. And, you know, we do have, I think, uh, probably scarier episodes. We have episodes with, you know, great forest monsters and post-apocalyptic horror and all this jazz. But I think the tone of this first episode is fairly melancholic. (laughs) And I think uh, at least especially with Dickery's story tries to focus in a little bit that this is going to be a horror story that is mostly about people's emotions. (laughs) And then a good bit of the setting of the characters will sort of fall into place as we explore that.
0: Is there something about this particular story that you wanted to to choose to tell first? It was really important.
1: I think that in a way it kind of stands by itself. And I think like if this were sort of the only episode you listened to, like you could walk away and it it would stand in its own right. It was important to find a moment in Diggory's story early on where we would get to see that kind of sense of empathy that they have and kind of get to tune into their sort of emotional nature a little bit. And then the challenge, you know, as it always is from there, is like, okay, I have this great intro sequence, I have this moment. The, you know, this meat cute, if you will, or, you know, meat uncute as it may be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, where, do, where can I take it from here? And like, how does that factor into this bigger story that I want to tell? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was kind of a, a, a nice way to begin Diggory's story. Um, and I think an important moment for them, for the audience to see um, as, uh, you know, it continues to kind of inform the story today.
0: And as for Jonah and Riot, um, you just like cliffhangers? Is that what it is?
1: <laughs> a little bit. This comes down a little bit to the nature of like podcasting as well. But like, you want people to tune in for that next episode. I think I have definitely gotten just better at the cliffhanger thing over time. <laughs> I think the best way to get someone tuning in now. Is not necessarily just a cliffhanger where it's like, oh no, they fell into a cabinet and (laughs) you don't know what's happened to them. But the way to do that a little bit better is to focus it on like the character's decisions and focus it on the character's sort of direction so that it's like, oh, they've reached a bad conclusion over the course of this episode. I want to tune in next time to see what they've done (laughs) like with this conclusion uh, and sort of like what action they've been propelled. Um, so, you know, I, I think it definitely can be more graceful than just, oh no, the plot has kidnapped them
0: again. (laughs) So what do you struggle with?
1: You know, there's a couple of things. A, I set out from the onset to make this a weekly show. And what that means is that outside of like a couple of weeks, I don't have any like quiet weeks on this show every episode needs to be able to be written, typed up, recorded, edited within like one week turnaround, which means that really this show has been sort of a, a constant part of my life for these last two and a half years of production.
0: Do you ever think about going to like every two weeks giving yourself a little break? I don't
1: think so. <laughs> I think at least for this show in particular, like that weekly release and the fact that the payoff for all these cliffhangers and all these continuation to the story uh, is only a week away. That's a part of the audience experience that was high priority for this project. And likewise, you know, there's a number of fans out there who are like, oh yeah, this is the highlight of my week. Like I get up at like 5am to go listen to this new episode when it drops. That kind of enthusiasm like is something I want to nurture, but it also comes at at a cost for making this show and i think beyond that it is also just getting into the stage where it is big enough now that i've essentially been able to like leave my marketing day job and like you know commit that time instead towards working on this show and making that weekly episode happen working on side projects uh, we've got a novel uh, 100 eyes in the dark you know that is finished and <laughs> just sort of pending a release date with that in mind, though, it is still sort of just barely, like, essentially covering what that nine to five job would. And so it's in this awkward stage where, like, I am a full-time creator now. But, you know, as more income or more support or more audience comes for the show, that will become a little bit easier and, you know, a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's like, yes, I'm a professional creator, <laughs> but, like, just barely right now.
0: Well, let's talk about that since you brought it up. Obviously, there is business concerns. Well, how do you measure success?
1: (laughs) If I am able to tell stories and do that uh, as a living, then I consider that successful. You know it doesn't have to be uh glorious it doesn't have to be like paying for a a cottage in bristol or something as long as i'm able to continue telling these stories and continuing to like express these thoughts to the audience then I, i think that really constitutes success for me um and you know in some in most ways i would say like i'm already there for what that metric needs to look like
0: so what are some lessons that you have learned about creating audio drama That you can share with people who might want to create their own
1: don't be afraid to like get started i see a lot of people like contemplating oh what if i made an audio drama but i don't know anything about it i don't have any skills like i i'm not sure that i'm ready and the big thing is kind of do you have the story to tell and if you do then i think don't let that technical stuff hold you back You will have to learn a lot of it as you go, but a lot of us learned it as we went. You know, a lot of us are still learning on the fly. Even the creators that you know and love the most are probably like on YouTube researching new stuff to do with their sound editing software (laughs) like every so often. So don't be afraid to learn. And although it can be scary to learn publicly where everyone can tune in to like your early stuff, that is part of the process. The only way that you're going to get better at this with time is if you actually start somewhere and begin to make something. Dreams are powerful things. They signify truths we may not yet allow ourselves to believe. You may return now to your usual dreams. I suggest the one with the teeth. I enjoy the one with the teeth. For your nightmares now and future, I am your loyal host, Nicky Nick, waiting with anticipation for your return to the Hollywoods
0: There is something hopeful amid the decay and death of the Hollywoods. Wellman's storytelling is evocative and calm, and while the characters may be monstrous, they have human souls and struggle with human needs, purpose, understanding, and love. You can listen to Hello from the Hollywoods on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more details. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. This show is a production of Alien Ghost Robot Creative Media. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. We're happy to be a part of the Audio Drama Lab, a Discord-based resource for audio drama development and networking. Check it out at audiodramalab.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.